Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Now, the Food, Farming and Countryside Commission has just published its new report about what we want from our food, what we really want from our food. And I love the headline, Citizens are Hungry for Change. So, what did they find out? Well, they say, of all the elements in our economy, one thing we can't manage without is food. It's a basic human need. It's at the heart of some of the biggest challenges that we face as a nation. We see headlines about food security, diet-related ill health, and the impact of nature and climate on food production. And food bank usage is on the rise. They say government has struggled to grasp the nettle on food system policies, and they believe it to be a national emergency, as serious as the climate emergency, and call for rapid collective action. And this is what they found out from the polling. What people want. A healthier, greener food environment. They want restrictions on junk food advertising. They want higher standards for catering in spaces like schools and hospitals. And tighter controls on the availability and marketing of ultra-processed foods. They want support for farmers to farm more sustainably. To go beyond existing policies with more investment and incentives to do the right things. They call for taxes and regulation to hold big food businesses to account, focusing on the polluter pays principle for any environmental harm and to reduce the production of unhealthy food. So cut it out before you produce it. And practical help for citizens to eat more healthily and sustainably, redistributing revenue from taxes, fines on food companies so that those on low income can afford healthy and sustainable food. They want better information and better labelling. And they want visible leadership from politicians and business leaders when it comes to food, with a plan for action that brings together the different parts of government building a national food strategy. Well, they all sound laudable objectives, don't they? A well-run food system helps to build human capital, it lifts communities out of poverty, and it will improve climate resilience. That's according to the World Bank. The global food system generates an estimated $12 trillion in hidden social, economic and environmental cost every year, including being the source of nearly one-third of global greenhouse gas emissions. The war in Ukraine has accelerated the crisis, but food prices and global hunger were already on the rise even before the war. It simply exasperated matters. Climate change has been a major factor, causing concern for many in the world economy. Global food production quadrupled between 1961 and 2020, and it's increased by 50% between 2000 and 2020. And yet, more people than ever before are going hungry. So how can we breach the gap? Obviously, a well-run food system helps to build human capital and lift people and their communities out of the poverty. Business as usual is not the way to go. We need change. It has to be systematic. We have to change how we approach the problem of food security. And we have to transform how we produce the food, transport it to where it's needed, and consume food. Globally, the support provided to agriculture and food is more than 700 billion US dollars per year. And the support is needed, but much of it is poorly targeted. Farmers receive just 35 cents of each dollar and it often encourages practices which are unsustainable. 
So we need to repurpose the resources, use them wisely, and target sustainable production and distribution of food. We need a data-driven agricultural industry to improve crop yields, reduce waste, lower cost, and reduce pollution, which in turn will reduce inequality and global hunger. But this doesn't rely on one easy, quick fix. It's a system of many parts, and it needs to have a nuanced approach to how we produce our food. The Food Systems 2030 program of the World Bank is helping countries to transform their food systems with the goal of achieving zero hunger by 2030. It's an ambitious project and it's funded with support from Germany, the UK, the European Commission and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, working with 25 countries seeking country-specific entry points for repurposing agriculture, policies and support with business models that stimulate private sector investment, promote climate-smart agriculture, apply digital innovations and strategies that make healthy, nutritious food more affordable. Jürgen Vogel is the Vice President for Sustainable Development at the World Bank, and he writes a very important blog on this topic. So you can go along and have a read of that if you go to the blogs.worldbank.org. There are many challenges facing the food security and sustainability. The global population will exceed 10 billion by 2050, and that will lead to an ever-increasing demand for food, placing pressure on finite resource. The global population will be wealthier, it will be more urban, and it will change the way in which food is purchased and marketed. And so, supply chains will need to be reorganised over this period to ensure that food can reach the right places at the right time, and of course at the right price that people can afford. And it will no doubt raise the social and political consequences of any increase in food pricing. On the supply side, there will be growing competition for land, energy and water, and the latter, water, will be of particular concern, especially with climate change. More food will have to be produced with less, so it will have to be very efficient to satisfy the demand of 10 billion people on the planet. Productivity will need to increase, further research and development will be needed, and unsustainable food production will threaten food security. If we overfish, if there's soil erosion or water shortages, it will be very damaging to the whole supply system. And all of those areas are already under severe pressure. Food production already suffers from climate change, with increasing droughts, floods, storms and extreme weather events, greenhouse gas emissions and water scarcity, along with biodiversity, is high on anyone's agenda who wants to make this supply chain more efficient, more resilient and fit for purpose. Overconsumption and waste will have to be removed from the system, and many people will need to be educated in how to conserve energy for food production and the food system. And of course, it has implications for health services worldwide, with the challenges of obesity and, of course, malnutrition. According to the Oxford Dictionary, food security is defined as the state of having reliable access to a sufficient quantity of affordable, nutritious food. The World Bank defines food security as being all people, at all times, 
having physical and economic access to sufficient, safe and nutritious food that meets dietary needs and food preferences for an active and healthy life. Food security has four dimensions, physical availability of the food itself, economic and physical access to food, food utilisation and stability as well. The supply and demand for food will require effective policies from government, major investment from food producers and farmers are in that category along with other agricultural industries as well as food processors and retail distribution networks. So you can see the food system itself is complex, multifaceted and facing many challenges with the growth in population. It's continuously evolving to meet these challenges. The Food Foundation in the United Kingdom asked the question, how to fix our food system in a way that benefits citizens and the planet? They had the first ever summit meeting for forward-thinking investors, and it was focused purely on food systems, asking for urgent transformation on the way we grow, manufacture, and eat food. 23 investment organisations representing £6 trillion worth in assets under management formed the Investor Coalition on Food Policy. The summit put money on the menu, they say. How can investors transform the UK food system? And it came as government had an independent review into the delivery of net zero climate commitments. They say not acting on climate change will outweigh the cost. It brought together more than 100 leading investment analysts, policymakers, academic experts, NGOs and journalists at 15 Hatfields in London. And it discussed the progress being made in the UK, looking at examples of investors steering industry behaviour. One of the keynote speakers was Stuart Lendrum, who was head of product and process at Iceland, the food retailer in the UK. They have more than 900 stores nationwide. Iceland set ambitious targets to reduce food waste and has pioneered efforts to eliminate palm oil from food ingredients lists, a product which is a major contributor to environmental destruction if it's farmed unsustainably. They also mentioned that a third of greenhouse gas emissions comes from the food system and a third of food that's produced goes to waste, which emits further greenhouse gases as it rots in landfill sites. 85% of agricultural land across the world is used for grazing animals or to grow crops to feed animals rather than people and it produces associated emissions of methane and nitrous oxide. They say that meat consumption has to fall by about 30% in Britain alone if we are to meet our target of reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. They also noted that commercial incentives for food businesses favour less healthy foods and that the greatest profits that food manufacturers earn is in the sale of ultra-processed food, which is often high in fat, salt and sugar. So it's very unhealthy for people, and that has implications, of course, for health services. So we need to change our habits, I think is the big message coming out of that particular report. And that's, of course, what the food farming report is also saying. We've got to change habits. The World Bank is saying we've got to change habits. And even some large food businesses And retailers are saying we've got to change habits. So if the food system is to be fit for purpose in the 21st century, there's a lot of work to do. Building a better and sustainable food system is a complex task. It requires the collective efforts of governments. It requires the collective efforts of government, business, 
all organizations and individuals. So what can be, what can you do? You can in, incentivize sustainable practices, and that's down to government. You provide incentives to farmers to adopt sustainable practices, such as regenerative agriculture, crop rotation, agroforestry, and that should help reduce the environmental impact of agriculture, improve soil health, improve soil health and crop yield. You can reduce food waste. A third of all food produced is lost, as we've just said, so stop that. Promote plant-based diets, because that will reduce the numbers of animals that have to occupy agricultural growing land. Support small-scale farms. Those sorts of farms are often marginalised and we go for big industry. So make sure that small farms have the resources, the land, the credit, the technology to make a contribution and invest in sustainable practice. Invest in research and development. Promote transparency. Consumers need access to all the information about where the food comes from, how it's produced and what impact it has on the environment. They need to know. They need the information. And reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Agriculture is a major source of greenhouse gas. It accounts for nearly one third of the global emissions. So get those greenhouse gases down. And it will require a change in use of land, livestock management, and of course, reduce the fertiliser use. Ultra-processed foods have been named as one of the key problems. Ultra-processed foods are high in calories, low in nutrients, and they've been linked to all kinds of health problems, such as obesity, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So what can we do to eliminate or reduce ultra-processed foods from people's diets? We need more information. We need to have food labels that say that the food is ultra-processed because they contain added sugar, fats and salt, and that needs to be clearly pointed out in the labelling. People can help themselves by eating whole foods, such as fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, which are minimally processed and contain essential nutrients beneficial for health. You can cook at home more and stop buying processed food, avoid those ultra-processed foods, and avoid fast food. Fast food is often high in calories, it's unhealthy, full of fat, full of salt, so you need to reduce the intake of those. And choose healthier snacks instead of biscuit and confectionery products. Eat fresh fruit, nuts or seeds. Now those are some of the things that can be done. Ultra-processed foods are obviously of some concern. And that appears to be where all the health problems lie. They're food products that contain high amounts of additives, preservatives, artificial ingredients. Foods are typically high calories, sugar, salt and unhealthy fats. They're often low in fibre, vitamins and minerals. And according to the British Heart Foundation, more than half of the calories consumed by an average person in the United Kingdom comes from these ultra-processed foods. Studies have linked the consumption of such foods to several health risks. High blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, early death, obesity, abdominal obesity, metabolic syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, frailty, indigestion, cancer and depression. So what can be done to avoid the health risks that are associated with these foods? It's recommended to consume a diet rich in whole foods such as fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, beans, pulses and natural animal products such as eggs, fish, milk and unprocessed meat. Processed culinary ingredients such as sugar, salt and oils can also be used, but in moderation. 
It's important the food labels carefully identify what's in these ultra-processed foods. The NOVA food classification system divides food into four categories based on how much they've been processed during production. Unprocessed or minimally processed foods and processed culinary ingredients. Processed foods and ultra-processed foods. Reducing consumption of these UPFs, ultra-processed foods, is challenging for many and it can be to do with the affordability too. But any small change you can make by cooking healthy foods at home, choosing whole foods over processed ones, can make a significant difference, according to the British Heart Foundation. Now, the United States Department of Agriculture had a very useful food and nutrition infographic, and you can get to that by going to the USDA gov site and searching for usda-actions-nutrition-security-infographic and you should come across it and you can see there it's really quite informative it talks about nutrition security consistent and equitable access to healthy safe and affordable foods that promote optimal health and well-being and it explains how nutritional security intersects with health equity and it talks about the impact of foods on different races. It talks about food insecurity and the risk of diet-related chronic diseases for historically underserved populations. So why does nutrition security matter? Well, poor nutrition is a leading cause of illness in the United States. 600,000 Americans die every year due to diet-related disease, obesity, diabetes and heart disease. It's three times worse for black households than white households. 85% of healthcare spending is related to diet-related chronic disease. And they talk about meaningful support, healthy food, collaborative action, and equitable systems. So they're talking about affordable food, translating nutrition science and providing better information, and prioritizing equity at every step of the way. And the USDA is promoting this Nutrition security. Now you can see from all the evidence that we presented in this podcast today that there's work to be done in the food supply chain to establish food security, to make our food better, to make it fit for purpose for what people want for healthier lifestyles and the food farming community where we started with this podcast today has a clear plan to make it happen in the United Kingdom. But you can see that elsewhere in the world, this is of paramount importance, whether it be the United Nations, looking at the interests of the global community, whether it's the United States Department of Agriculture, or whether it's other non-profit organisations who also have an interest. And of course, don't forget, the food producers themselves, to preserve their own future, need to start taking this more seriously than perhaps they have done in the past. And there does need to be better information, better labelling on food products, so that we know exactly what's in them. And the more transparency there is, people can make better decisions for themselves. Food retailers have a responsibility, but most of all, governments have a responsibility to regulate the food system. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode, taking a look at food supply chains, and we might return to it at some time in the future, 
to see what's happened in the intervening time period. So I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time in the Chain Reaction Podcast. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.